or the love of goats. We are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here's Deborah Neiman. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I am talking to one of my favorite people who works in the world of goats and parasites, and that is Steve Hart, PhD of Langston University. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today, Dr. Hart. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Deborah. I enjoy working with producers and look forward to visiting with them on this subject of parasites. This is one of the biggest problems that people have. Um, I think if we didn't have problems with parasites with goats, they would just be incredibly easy. <laughs> now, there are so many, um, well, not so many, there are a number of different parasites, um, and they basically usually fall into the category, when you're talking internal parasites, usually they're going to fall into the category of either worms or coccidia. And when you look at the worms, um, one of the group that seems to cause the most problem are the roundworms. Now, everybody thinks of barber pole worm, and that is a roundworm, but there's a couple others that we need to know about too. So can you give us a quick summary of the difference between the different roundworms that goats have? Okay, Deborah, although there's more than a dozen different types of roundworms that affect goats, there are three major ones that we look at uh, and monitor most importantly. Although, you know, any one of the others under unique conditions can be a problem, but 98% of the conditions we're going to be looking at these three major species. The barber pole worm, also called Hemacus contortus, which is our biggest problem. Tropical worm, likes it warm. And then probably our second most important one would be the black scar worm uh, called Trichostrangulus clubriformis, which is a temperate species worm, likes it cool, like spring and fall. And then what's called the brown stomach worm, or Teledersagia circumcincta, or used to be called Ostratagia ostratagia which is a cool weather worm and probably our most cold tolerant worm. Okay. And barber pole worm causes a lot more damage than these other ones um, because it's got some unique um, qualities. Could you talk about why the barber pole worm causes so many more problems than the others? Okay, Deborah, the barber pole worm, if you look at a fresh one, will have a red and a white stripe spiraling down them. That's the reason why they're given the name barber pole worm. The red stripe is the, the worm's gut, full of your goat's blood. And the white stripe is the uterus, full of eggs. And so basically this worm is a blood-sucking, egg-laying machine, capable of laying up to 6,000 eggs per day. Wow! Uh, the protein in the eggs has to come from your goat's blood. Uh, they may consume one to five drops of blood per day. A thousand of them is a pint of blood in a week. If you and I give blood and we give a pint of blood, we've got eight weeks uh, of rest. Your goat has to give another pint of blood next week. Oh my goodness. That number, the, the 6,000 offspring from a single worm is what just blows me away. Like 
I'm always hesitant to quote the number because it just always feels like, no, no, that can't be right. That's just too big of a number. Well, that's probably, an average is probably more like two to 3,000. Mm -hmm. uh, but we that say- still uh, sounds crazy. <laughs> yes. That's a lot of babies. It sure is. <laughs> So it's easy to see because so many people will say like, well, she was fine yesterday. You know, you go out there and you've got a goat that just all of a sudden today, she looks like she's lost several pounds. She's anemic. She's got diarrhea. That is how it happens so fast because the barber pole can reproduce so fast. Um, so then there all of a sudden you've got tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of these worms sucking the blood from this poor goat. Can you tell us a little bit about the um, life cycle of the barber pole worm? Yes, Deborah, and it's kind of a long description. Uh, and basically we start with the egg being in the fecal pellet, uh, laying on the ground, and it hatches, assuming the temperature is higher than 50 degrees. It really likes temperature close around 80 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit to hatch. So it hatches in one to five days, depending on temperature. Uh, the egg hatches to what we call a first stage larva. Uh, and this larva wanders through the fecal pellet, eating E. coli bacteria, kind of like a slider. And so that's how they grow up, is eating E. coli. Uh, so it gets big enough that he then molts to a second stage larva and he kind of sheds his skin like a snake would shed their skin. Uh, then he becomes an L, a second stage larva. Uh, both the first and second stage larva can be killed in the pellet by drying out. And especially if like a chicken were to pick pellet open and the pellet dries out. Also a hot dried uh, climate can cause the these uh, first and second stage larva to dry out. So the second stage larva uh, wanders through the fecal pellet then eating E. coli and grows up to, to where he's going to become a third stage larva. However, this molt is what is called an incomplete molt. The skin, instead of coming off, just slides up. Okay, the good part is it gives him two jackets then that make him resistant to drying out. The bad news is it's slipped up over his mouth and covers his mouth where he cannot eat. So this means that he has to live off the fat on his back until he gets into your goat. If he runs out of fat, he'll die. Uh, so, and that is dependent on temperature, how fast he burns his fat up. Since he's cold-blooded, uh, then his metabolism uh, reflects the ambient temperature. If it's 95 degrees, his metabolism goes fast, he burns up uh, fat stores faster, and he may only live 30 to 40 days. Whereas if the temperature is 50 degrees, he may live in excess of 100 days. And this is how hot weather helps to clean pastures. So the question about how long uh, do you need animals off the pasture before most of the worms or infected larvae are dead depends on temperature. Hot temperatures, shorter period of time. 
This third stage larva is the infective larva. He's got to get out of the pellet to infect your goats. Uh, since goats don't go around eating fecal pellets. The pellet has a hard shell and so the, the larva can't penetrate that. That shell has to be opened or broken up by rain, several days of heavy dew. But we say two inches of rain in a month's time is adequate to break that pellet open. And that third stage larva has no swimming organs. He is like a canoe without a paddle going to where the rain takes him, and he hopes it takes him several inches up on the grass uh, so that the goat will eat the grass, eat low enough on the grass to, to consume him also. When the goat consumes the larva, the larva, when he gets to the rumen, immediately molts to a fourth stage larva. This fourth stage larva can either continue developing to a fifth stage larva, adolescent, then a mature adult that mates and lays eggs, or the fourth stage larva can become what's called an arrested uh, fourth stage larva or inhibited. And uh, what he does, he just kind of hibernates, nestles down in the, in the stomach glands. And this is a, an important mechanism for overwinter. And then in the spring with kidding or lactation, green grass, he wakes up and then becomes an adult uh, to infect the kids. So it, it, like we said, it's an overwintering mechanism. So this is, completes our life cycle then of the worm. And then what are the risk factors for goats in terms of um, barber pole worm? Okay, Deborah, if the, Ambient temperature is greater than 50 degrees. You have temperatures high enough for those eggs to hatch and develop. If we're getting two in, greater than two inches of rainfall in a month, we'll have enough rain to break those pellets open and release the infective larva. Uh, grazing pasture short is another risk factor. We're getting down there consuming those infective larvae that are in the lower part of the grass. Thin animals because that reflects poor nutrition, which depresses the immune system. Animals in lactation, uh, their immune system is depressed somewhat, so they're very susceptible as are young animals. Also, grazing a long time on the same pasture, you have an accumulation of a lot of infective larvae. So these are the major risk factors that we see. A lot of people are starting to have trouble um, when their goats do get worms, that the dewormers are not working so well anymore. What happened to cause the dewormers to stop working? Okay, Deborah, uh, the dewormers have stopped working because we have basically killed all the susceptible worms with our dewormers. The worm genome, or their DNA, is what's called as a loose genome. This means that there are generally a lot of mutations. Uh, there may be as much genetic difference between two worms as there are between man and monkey. Uh, wow. so this, this means that uh, in a million worms, you will have two or three that have mutations that render them uh, resistant to a dewormer. And so to simplify these million worms, we uh, will kill off the susceptible worms with repeated deworming 
And so the resistant ones are the only ones that multiply uh, then to replace them. So when the resistant worms make up about half of our population, we say our dewormer is not working because every time we deworm, we only get rid of half of the worms or less. So since the dewormers are not working um, for everyone anymore, there obviously we have to do something differently. Um, dewormers shouldn't, you shouldn't look to that as your only answer. So can you talk a little bit about integrated pest management and how to use management as your main control strategy? Yes, Deborah. Integrated pest management was a concept barred from the agronomist who had to cope with uh, bug resistant to insecticides, fungus that were resistant to fungicides. So we have barred their concept then. The big thing is to understand what kind of pest you're dealing with, that their life cycle, uh, and management that you can do to discourage the worm. Such things as rotational grazing with a long rest period, not grazing close to the ground. And so we apply these management practices. We monitor our animals with things like the FAMACHA five-point check to make sure that management is adequately controlling the parasites. When management is not controlling the parasites or levels of worms get high enough to cause us a problem, we use a conventional dewormer on those individuals that need it. And uh, we learn from watching our results this year, we make changes in our management for the next year. Yeah. And uh, hopefully do a better job, get rid of some of our animals that are most susceptible. I think you mentioned FAMACHA um, in this picture and um, the five point check. And how do we, um, what is the best way to decide? Because people are always wondering like, when do you deworm your goats? Um, you know, and does it have to do with a fecal or FAMACHA or, or something else? Um, how does that all work together in, on a regular farm? Okay, you know, pig leg counts are wonderful for determining when to deworm animals. However, most people uh, don't have the time to do pig leg counts, but uh, they, they are probably the best mechanism that we have. Uh, Famacha is certainly a lot quicker and easier uh, to do. Famacha basically is a de determination of anemia. Uh, then that's caused by the barber pole warmer. But the anemia can also be caused by other things uh, such as your liver flukes, coccidia, or a bad case of lice, especially on young animals. So, uh, but it only monitors the barber pole worm. We said there are two other major worms that cause us problems. Uh, they cause diarrhea as well as poor growth. And so we check the animal for diarrhea. We check the animal for bottle jaw, which is the, uh, looks like a double chin in the animal. Uh, we look at their body condition score because the worms suppress the animal's well-being. Uh, we also look at their uh, hair coat. Uh, then, so that's the five points then that we look at so that we can monitor our animals, not only for the barber pole worms, 
for, for these other sperm species that don't cause anemia. And I think it's really important for people to know that like if you've got two or three goats, it might be easy to take fecals to the vet and might not be cost prohibitive. But if you have 20, um, like, do you really want to be out there waiting to catch poop for, or even getting poop from all those goats and then paying for all those fecals or doing all those fecals? Um, because I think one of the things, like sometimes I've heard people say, oh, well, they'll just get a samples from a few of them and mix them together. And what usually follows after that is, oh, if it's high, we'll deworm the whole herd. And you really, really don't want to do that. Um, I always tell people that you should think of dewormers like you think of antibiotics. You know, you only use, you only give them to a sick goat. You, you wouldn't want to give them to everybody, you know, just because one goat has pneumonia, you don't go give a shot of penicillin to everybody. Yes, Deborah, and you know, just because you had pneumonia in February doesn't mean this February you go give everyone in your herd a shot of LA-200. So um, using FAMACHA and all these other things, checking the body condition, um, just makes so much more sense when, you know, you've got a, a herd that, you know, gets to be beyond just a couple of pets. Can you talk a little bit about how to use dewormers? Because there's not really um, too many dewormers out there that are labeled for goats. And, um, and this is where I think a lot of people also run into trouble with dewormer resistance is they're underdosing right from the beginning. So how are people supposed to use dewormers with their goats? Okay, Deborah, and you mentioned underdosing. Underdosing really increases the rate of dewormer resistance rapidly. And so basically we talk about needing a higher dose of dewormer for use in our goats. This is because the goat has a larger liver as a percent of body weight and so can metabolize those dewormers away. And they also have a fast rate of passage in the gastrointestinal tract, which will move those dewormers through the gastrointestinal tract faster. So we talk about needing double the dose of dewormers as compared to cattle or the sheep dose that's listed on the dewormer to get our concentrations up in the effective range that we need to kill worms. And if somebody um, wants to incorporate some more natural control methods in terms of prevention or treatment, could you talk a little bit about some of those things that have been, because there's so much stuff out there that is not proven to work. Um, and so I really just like to encourage people to try things that have been proven to work by, you know, according to the research. What are some of the natural things people can use when it comes to deworming? Well, I'll touch base on herbals. Sometimes they work. They tend to be unpredictable just because the active ingredient in the herb uh, can vary so widely in concentrations because of where the plant's grown, the way it's processed, the stage that it's harvested, mm -hmm. etc. If you insist on using herbals, do the five-point check regularly and uh, use a conventional dewormer if you're getting in trouble on your animals. Some of the uh, natural dewormers, the first would be Cerisa lespedeza. And I should point out there's other plants such as bird's foot trefoil grown in some areas, chicory and sandfoy that all have a uh, chemical called tannins that are effective against worms. Uh, Cerisa 
Les Bedeza, which we were the first ones and have done quite a bit of work with it, works very well. It reduces fecal egg count by 60% or more. It interferes with the hatching and development of the larva in the fecal cola. Uh, we've grazed goats the whole summer on it without needing deworming. Uh, one study showed that it might depress molybdenum absorption. Uh, and so that may be a consideration in animals that uh, are on it too long. Uh, but we've had positive results and many others have had positive results with it. The tannins and oaks are not effective as a dewormer. There are likely other plants that have dewormer effect, but we haven't done the research on that. Other things that uh, can work well are copper oxide wire particles. They are effective only against the barber pole worm. We don't really understand how they work, but it seems to be fairly effective. Uh, they don't seem to work for just weaned animals. Uh, one of the caveats. The correct dose is four grams for an adult and two grams for those weighing less than 50 pounds. You probably need to limit it to three times in the summer unless you have high levels of copper in the diet or high liver levels of copper and you need to reduce that number. When you have an animal mortality you should freeze a piece of liver that, as big as two fingers and have it submitted to the Michigan State Diagnostic Lab for analysis. This can not only tell you the, your level of copper, but tell you a lot about other minerals in your nutrition program and how you're doing. Uh, Bioworma is another natural factor that we can use. It's for sale by Premier One. It's a fungus that parasitizes developing larvae in the fecal pellet. It's very effective. There's been work done here in the US. Uh, it must be fed every day and it's currently pricey, but for those that have more goats than they have land, it may be the only way that they can really control uh, pasture contamination. And so those are our major natural dewormers that are available. The way that the bioworma works is that it, it keeps the eggs from hatching in the goat poop once it's on the pasture, or it does something to the larva. Uh, what it does is the fungus actually has, uh, puts out loops kind of like lariats. And as this, uh, are, the infective larvae are moving through the pellet eating the E. coli, they will go into the loop and get caught. And so the fungus then uh, uses the larva or infects the larva and it gets it, uses it to reproduce uh, itself then. So basically, the parasite is parasitized by the fungus. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> so I think we've kind of covered a bunch of different bases here. And so how does somebody put all of this stuff together? Like, how does this look for just your average goat owner who says, I just want to make sure my goats are healthy and don't have worm problems? Okay, it requires putting together a plan. And uh, one thing is, to determine some things that you can use as far as management to prevent worms. Uh, and we haven't covered, we've just touched base on a few things. Rotational grazing is one of the probably best things you can do. Mm -hmm. Avoiding grazing down close to the ground. Uh, 
making hay out of a pasture, the use of horses or cattle, which clean up pastures. Uh, so determine what management practices are applicable in your farm situation and use those. And then every two weeks, you need to monitor your animals with a five point check uh, of individual animals, uh, deworm the ones that need it, cull those that need it the most. This is probably the single most important thing that you can do uh, for controlling parasites is get rid of those uh, 20% of the animals that are producing 50% of the worms or more. Right. That's really important for people to understand that um, just because that's one of those old things, you know, that you used to hear like, well, if one's got worms, they all have worms. Is that research has actually shown that's not true, that parasites are much worse for some goats than others. Yes, one parasitologist said it's like money. It's not equally distributed to all individuals. <laughs> That's good. I'll have to remember that. So I know that is what happened with me because we had complete dewormer resistance a um, long time ago. And basically, Mother Nature called my herd for me. So we actually have very little trouble with parasites now. I Maybe I'll have two or three goats every year that um, need a dewormer one time, and that's it. Most of them, um, it's like a yearling right after she freshens or something like that. Yes, uh, those that are most, those animals that are susceptible. Thank you so much for um, talking with us today. I know you've been working in this field for so many years, like since the 90s, right? It was when you started studying goats and parasites. Yes, that's correct, Deborah. So you have seen a lot of changes, which is another thing I love talking to you about too sometimes, is you know, like the history of it all and how much it has changed. And so that's why, you know, people see so much different uh, information across the internet because the stuff that was put out there 20 years ago is still there. And, you know, current research has shown that a lot of the stuff we did back in the 90s was not a good idea. And one of those things was rotating dewormers. Yes, that's right. Um, so we know now that you're not supposed to rotate the dewormers. You should just continue to use one until it no longer works. Um, and the thing is, if you're only giving it to a single goat when that single goat needs it, um, you they really should not need it. Like I said, I have goats that have never had a dewormer in their life or some that have only had it once. Like this is not something that you should have to do on a regular basis. And if you do, then there's a lot of other management things um, that you probably need to start incorporating into your farm. That's correct. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think that a lot of people are going to find this really interesting and helpful. And um, I hope you'll join us again sometime to talk about more of this. I hope so, Deborah. I, I really appreciate the invitation and, and the time uh, to visit with producers about this uh, very important subject. Thank you so much. And that's it for this week. Next week, we are going to be talking about goat law. Yes, law. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it or any other episode. If you want to see the show notes, be sure to visit fortheloveofgoats.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lovegoatspodcast. And if you've got a moment, we would love it if you could leave us a review. 
Thanks so much. See you next time. Bye.